Welcome to the Geek-Centric Podcast, and welcome to our watch club for Andor. How many guards on each level? Never more than 12. Watch Club. My name is Nate, and this is our Watch Club for Disney and Lucasfilm's Andor, episodes 7 to 9. If you're joining us for the first time, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this series and Star Wars in general. So if you haven't watched these episodes yet, be sure to do so, and then come right back in less than 12 parsecs. Now, before we start building ship parts in a prison that will never escape... Let me introduce you to my table crew joining me on program today. He's the droid dropping, helmet popping, empire stopping, rebel spy who's always down for a dry run after a few Dagobah slug slingers. He's Darcy Dankferrick Hudson. Yeah, I'm. Wow. We've seen two different Imperial prisons now, and I wouldn't want to be in either of them. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. The, the Empire is just ramping up their prison game. Uh, a lot worse than what uh, Jin Erso had in Rogue One, I think. I I'd say yeah, different level, <laughs> <laughs> different level, seven levels, I think exactly. <laughs> uh, and joining us in our fight against the Empire, we have a rebel spy who can break a Melu run fruit between his dry thighs while munching on some pork belly pie. He's Kevin Hosnian Prime Hudson. You know when I'm binging a good meal, uh, uh how many? Pork belly pies do I have? Never less than 12. Never less. There you go. <laughs> Never less than 12. Oh, did I say, wait, did I say more than 12? No, yeah. Oh, okay. I see. That's a joke. It. I flipped the script. You flipped it around. <laughs> you flipped it and reversed it. Um, guys, before we get into this watch club, I actually want to take a moment to ask you a question. At the end of episode seven, which we'll, we'll be talking about, we finally get to see something that I think we've all wondered about, which is... Star Wars' answer to Miami. <laughs> so the, the vacation planet Niamos uh, shows up. I want to know, what's the first Niamos hotspot you're hitting up as soon as you land there, Darcy? Uh, I don't know. I was getting kind of in inclusive resort vibes from where we saw it with Andor. I would probably mm -hmm. be looking for excursions if that was the case. Like, get me on the water. Show me the tour. See, let me see the sites. That's my yeah. go-to thing. Not mu okay. much for a bar myself. <laughs> okay, good to know. Kevin, how about yourself? I mean, it, it does answer the age-old question. Like, you spend your days toiling away in the hot sun of Tatooine. You work all year for a week or two off. Where do you go, right? You got to get off yeah. planet. You got to chill out. Uh, and I think uh, the Miami of the Star Wars galaxy certainly seems like <laughs> the place to be. Um, I mean, I'm definitely with Darcy. I'm doing some excursions. I'm going to do, like, uh, you know, I'm going to... I'm going to do some snorkeling tours. Apparently, there's some sunken submarine AT-ATs that you can see oh. under the surface there. I'm jumping Love on a wave it. skimmer at night and watching yeah. the, you know, doing a coastal <laughs> tour of the skyline. Um, Beautiful. But my number one destination, because apparently they're the best in all the galaxy, is the topless beaches. Apparently, they are just <laughs> out of this world, quite literally. <laughs> I'm sure, absolutely. So many different species too. You get like everything is on on display there. Dude, Kevin's gonna walk by those Talus Sirens, and they're gonna have like eight 
sets of boobs going on, and he's gonna get some green milk. He's gonna have a good time, like right from the source on the beach. <laughs> right from the source. Better. Yeah, nothing. Better. Ask first. Ask first, <laughs> oh, Kevin. Of course, but yes, of course. absolutely. Uh, for me, I'm like, I don't think Luke asked. Actually, I think he just went up to that thing and just started. <laughs> they had milking it. I guess, like, yeah, they had a prearranged <laughs> arrangement for the for the green milk. Um, for me, I think I'm gonna go with. Uh, Finding a dope tattoo shop. You know, our Miami is known for their tattoo shops. I think the Amos, uh, maybe Dr. Quadpaw has a brother out there who runs like a tattoo shop. And like, <laughs> just imagine how quickly he could do like my entire back, like so quickly. Right. And then I stopped by like a, um, like a back to a back to tank bath at a local spa. Like Miami is known for its spas. I think that could maybe. Uh, That's be brilliant. Cause, cause yeah. you know, like the worst part about getting something like a back tattoo would be wait you know mm -hmm. the eight hour sessions that it would take and then of course the healing of tattoos is a week or two at least and you're not able to swim yep. but you're on vacation you want to get in there mm -hmm. and swim so if you could get all that done in a quick jiffy and you're back in the the ocean waiting around like just hours later brilliant yeah that would be excellent and like think of the marketing right like uh Quadpaw, brother of Quadpaw, <laughs> could probably have like a good marketing scheme like bacta tattoo like back tattoo or something like that. Like they nice. can find a way to make the words work and you get like, it's a special deal. If you pay in all Imperial credits, you get, you know, 10% off or you save tax or whatever. Um, but wherever we go, guys, just make sure we have enough pizos for the entire trip. I need to have my pizos. If you don't have pizos, what are you doing? Well, and I just need you guys to promise that you're going to keep my, my drinks to a minimum because it, I can get into trouble at a place like that. <laughs> And that does not seem like the kind of place you want to get into trouble. No. I You'll be getting, in prison I'm for the rest of your life. For six plus years <laughs> yeah. after a yeah. trip there, man. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, listen, before we eat all the pizos and get thrown in prison, uh, let's get to our first story breakdown. Again, just like last week, um, we've been having a a bit of a busier time, one could say, at The Eccentric. Uh, so again, I want to thank Lindsay over at Nerds and Beyond for her amazing recaps that have helped with sort of pulling these descriptions together. I adapted them a little bit. I modified them a little bit to still be me, but um, she definitely helped me with the bare bones structure. So let's get into episode seven. Um, we open with Cyril Karn, who still appears to be pretty downtrodden after losing his job as a deck deputy inspector his mother questions his choice to wear a brown suit to his interview for a position with the bureau of standards meanwhile there's a news report discussing the robbery of the imperial armory on aldani later karn's interviewer asks about what happened on morlana one to which he explains how important upholding the law is to him they discuss expunging his record uh and he's then offered a job i think that was his uncle that might have even been talking to him in that moment so cyril's kind of, you know, moving from one oppressor to the next here. And he's always under scrutiny, first by, you know, his higher-ups assessing his job as a deputy inspector, and now his own mother attacking his fashion sense. Um, so, you know, why do you think Cyril is so intent on standing out when he's consistently trying to be part of a workforce that he's forced to stay in line? I mean, when you grow up with a mother that scrutinizes every decision you make and everything you yeah. do, and you can never do enough to impress her. I could see why, A, he's inclined to do a job where where he, following rules is so important, but then, you know, his his need 
I think, to just stemming all the way back to impressing his mother has now transferred into his, his work life where he wants to stand out and be recognized for doing his job better than those around him. And so it's, it's a compulsion, I think, that he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Again, I, I was saying in the last one that his mom seems to be so overbearing and, and like suff- suffocating to him that I can see him wanting to escape from underneath her thumb. And again, having, like Kevin said, come up in that type of environment, of course, the empire is going to provide that same sort of rigid structure that he can follow while allowing for that room for improvement. That is kind of the structure of the empires. If you do a good job, there is room to move up. But there are thousands of people out there, so you really have to make your name for yourself. Right. I, I think, <clears throat> I think, like you're saying, he's he was raised not to settle for mediocrity. Mm-hmm. I think every time he puts on a shirt, if it doesn't fit him right, he fixes it. Right. It, 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 he's very specific. He's very intentional with what he wears. Um, I think to kind of show those who might help him, kind of up his position, that again, he's he's not going to settle for good enough. They're gonna they're gonna see that he's always got his suits pressed and. I, I will say I also really like that he's a big geek just like us. Like in his room at the beginning of the episode, you can see various Imperial Trooper action figures <laughs> on his like mantelpiece. And I'm like, he's still a minimalist. He only has three, unlike us that have a million Funko Pops. But um, I like the idea that he's shopping on whatever the Star Wars equivalent is of like a sideshow collectibles or hot toys. Like he, you know, he would want the best, right? So he would he would buy the five hundred dollar figures. It's kind of creepy because it's not like heroes of a fictional world that he idolizes. He's buying like the the <laughs> mementos of this fascist regime that controls the I government. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's yeah, a little, yeah. it's uh, not so good. Oh yeah, he's t- basically buying propaganda. Like those are like clearly empire issued figures. So he's supporting yeah. the empire through his hobbies of collecting like i don't know if i'd uh, get behind that it's not like a movie or anything like that it's a real thing in that world and it's not the best thing to be supporting well i mean it reminds me of like you know i think well it doesn't remind me exactly but i've i've seen the stories of like you know during world war one world war two like kids were going crazy for for military action figures right the gi mm-hmm. joes of the world right so i could see maybe they're from his childhood maybe there's something he had uh, from from back in the day, maybe they're they're you know they're uh, more clone uh, troopers mm-hmm. than anything, um, but you know I think it's also kind of neat too. That as uh, his new job, we also get a little dose of classic Star Wars with the mouth droid driving towards Cyril, and you see him move out of the way. Which again, it's like who moves out of the way of a mouse droid? Like what are you doing, dude? Like like it's a mouse droid. They move out of the way for you. So it's just it's crazy to see that he's in this situation where. You know, not only is he, you know, moving out of the way of mouse droids, but he's also he's back in a job where I think, you know, he's wearing what everyone else has to wear. Right. He's he's got he's he's kind of in a bit of a prison uh, on his own, kind of mirroring what obviously happens with Cassian at the end of this episode. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's just broken. You know, maybe he's maybe he's yeah. broke. You know, he's still he still hasn't recovered from everything that happened, you know, Um or maybe he just has a, a respect for the work that the mouse droid is doing. He knows that that droid is clearly on its way to deliver an important message or something. And he's like, hey, go, do your thing, little guy. I will get out of your I way. I like that answer. I like that answer. That makes sense. Cool. Um, <clears throat> all right. Let's get to this next section here. Uh, Wolf Yalaren. 
I just I'm stoked that we get to talk about him. Uh, Wolf Yularen addresses the team at the Imperial Security Bureau in the wake of the attack on, on Aldani. New Empire-wide measures that will be taken include a tribute tax equal to five times the amount stolen from Aldani for any sector harboring partisan activity. If anyone is caught using a local custom festival, festival or tradition as cover for rebel activity, they'll be punished with permanent revoca- revocation of imperial tolerance. Uh, as per Emperor Palpatine, the ISB will be taking the lead going forward. Um, I just want to say shout out to every ISB agent and everyone who is on the Empire side who has to talk like that. Like permanent revocate imperial. Like I'm like, I'm struggling saying all these words. <laughs> the fact that they can just talk so quickly. Um, but listen, again, we get to see for the f- well first time in live action since he was in the background in A New Hope, Wolf Yularen. Darcy, if you don't mind, for those who might not be aware of Yularen's significance, can you give us some details on this major Imperial player? Uh, Yes. So he has been a part of the Navy back when it was the Republic Navy and even before the Clone Wars. Uh, he He was very much for, you know, order in the galaxy and snuffing out any insurgents or threats to peace or order across the galaxy. And, uh, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine saw, you know, promise in this up and coming soldier and, and uh, encouraged him to join the Navy where he became the youngest admiral at the time. Uh, fast forward to the Clone Wars. At this point, he's working under uh, General Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. And he just thinks that those two are reckless, doesn't really see the need for Jedi when the strength is in the army he's leading. And of course, he translates over perfectly into the empire when that happens. So he's been around for a while and Palpatine has kind of been nursing and encouraging his whole order through power uh, mentality. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very surprising to see, or not surprising, I should say to see him pop up in this thing, because of course this is the beginning of the biggest threat to that galactic order that he's trying to protect now. It's crazy too, that like <clears throat> watching this guy, I completely forgot this is the voice, no, I mean, not this actor, but Tom mm-hmm. Kane, who's the voice of Wolf Yularen mm-hmm. in the Clone Wars. He's also voice of Yoda in the Clone Wars. That's the voice that you hear at the beginning of most of the Clone Wars episodes. The narrator, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, previ- like, on the, like you know, I don't even, I don't even want to try to do it. It's like, <laughs> the, the, the clones are war. I don't know. He, he talks on it, and uh, <laughs> the clones are wars. And uh, that's a direct line. He, um, but it's just nuts to think that that was the voice that we heard at the beginning of uh, of every Clone Wars episode. I just, I don't know. I'm blown away by it, and I'm stoked to see him here. And I, I also wanted to just quickly ask Darcy, because we know he's got a relationship with a certain someone that we've already speculated might show up in this show. Uh, what are your thoughts on his connection to Thrawn? Well, I mean, they're in the Thrawn novels. There are several in, uh, instances where they do work together to snuff out a threat, because Thrawn, being the brilliant tactician that he is, he can kind of see these threats coming before anyone else can. So Yularen immediately takes a liking to this guy and, and sees him as a tool to use to protect this empire that he's trying to uh, dedicate his life to for so long, especially because he became he came out of retirement to enter the Clone Wars, actually. So this guy has been around for a while wow. and has, has fought in many wars across the galaxy just trying to maintain order. And again, he formed a special task force to take out insurgencies across back when it was the Republic. So he's been all for order through force. And uh, again, he's a perfect fit for the, for the empire. And so just knowing how he has this long history is he makes this easy transition like almost instantly because he's almost been groomed by the emperor for this. 
No wonder he looks so tired. I mean, I think it's in episode eight. Yeah. There's like a moment where he's just sort of like. He's like falling asleep uh, at the desk there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, how much is this going to cost? But uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, now, Dedra feels as though the ISB is playing straight into the Rebels' hands. So she puts a request for a multi-sector data blend to further investigate the Starpath unit, asking for a confidential report. Blevin tells Major Partagaz that he wants to lodge a charge against Supervisor Miro as he believes she's overreaching. Upon questioning, she admits that she used, to, she used the Imperial Emergency Act to gather data across multiple sectors without official sanctions. Daedra explains that, the, that she believes there is a focused, organized rebel effort to obtain highly restricted Imperial military components, and she now has proof. Blevin's plan backfires, and Partagaz reassigns the Milana sector to her, telling her to watch her back. Uh, also, as far as Dedra is concerned... This is really, I think, our first instance of seeing her doing something to, you know, similar to what Cyril did in that he's going above board. He's, he's kind of going behind the backs of his higher ups. But because she's actually successful and good at her job, it actually works in her favor. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. I love that she's able to just be like, like, in a way, she's she doesn't fully agree with the Empire as well, just like how Cyril doesn't. But she's actually skilled enough to pull it off. And again, I I feel like by the end of this three episode arc, we see her really, you know, embrace the the empire and what it can stand for, especially with the way that it rules through power and fear, and how that will like you rule your subordinates through fear, and you move up through using your power to make big moves and stuff like that. So, again, by the end of the, this nine episode arc, you they've done a really good job of turning her into a proper imp- imperial villain. Absolutely. And it's it's crazy because like with her character, you know, I think at the beginning of her character, I was like, oh, good for her. Like, yeah, you know, you get yours like you're surrounded by all these people that tell you to hide in the back or look down upon you. And you're like one of two women in in this circle. And by this episode and and by the the end of these three episodes, I'm just like. You're evil. You're mm-hmm. awful. You're a terrible human. Uh, why was I rooting for you? But I think that's one of the beautiful things about this show, as you're saying. Like, it just really, really turns you upside down. Um, Mon Mothma arrives to pay Luthen yet another visit under the guise that she'd like to exchange the gift she purchased for her husband. She questions if Luthen's rebels were responsible for what happened at the garrison and asks him if he's aware of what he's done. Palpatine won't hesitate now. But that's what Luthen wanted. They need the Empire to overreact to force their hand. Uh, the assistant from Luthen's shop, Clea, covertly meets up with Vel. Clea tells her that the, money's, uh, the money has been moved already, but they're worried about the trawler. Vel confirms that it's buried and gone for good. Vel is concerned about Cinta, who's still on Aldani, though Clea reminds her how dangerous it is to send and receive messages. Clea then informs her that Clem, whose true name is Cassian Andor, is now a loose end, and she instructs Vel to find him and kill him. So clearly Clea's going against Luthen's intentions here. Yet again, another sort of example of a character going against their sort of higher up um or at least it seems that way i mean it it does kind of go back and forth of like you know who's who's more cutthroat you know is it is do you think do you think clea is more cutthroat and is she actually the leader here um or do you think it's luthan himself yeah i I think this is just a a a case of 
overreach here. I, I don't think she realizes how important uh, Luthen believes that Cassian is. I think right. I think uh, Luthen just sees this as the beginning for what uh, Cassian can bring to their cause. Uh, and so I think I think she sh- it's a little too try hard. It's a little I'll I'll I I can spot some loose ends here. I'll take care of them and he'll be impressed. But I think I don't think she realizes the the scope of the plan and maybe there's a failure of communication between the two to really uh, you know, signify the importance of, of Cassian, at least in Luthen's eyes. Interesting. I See, I thought it, because <clears throat> I can see how you thought it that way. I, I kind of saw it almost as though Clea um, doesn't think that Luthen's doing a good enough job. I think that she's not trying to necessarily impress him or think of him as, as like, sure, she thinks of him as, like, maybe her, her boss or leader, but she's like, you're losing your way. You are not, you're not, you're not strong enough to do this. I am. Uh, and I think she's, like I think she's more of an extremist than Luthen. I think I think that's going to become a really big problem uh, for him. And I, I I don't know, man. I just I'm seeing her in this episode. I was just kind of blown away. I'm like, holy crap! Like she's maybe she's running the show more than he thinks she is. Uh, and and I think that might be a bit of an issue. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't getting much from this interaction. I thought she was a bit, maybe overstepping her bounds a bit. Obviously, she was, she was going against what Luthen was saying. Right. But, uh, I mean, sure, we'll come back to this topic uh, once we get to the next episode. Because, again, we do see the tensions rising in that re- the relationship there. So, yeah, it's uh, this show is very good at, at their character development and just weaving these like, really intriguing storylines into what is already a very tense time. Yeah. And can we talk about... Like her and Vel's outfits in this scene. Like, first off, when you saw Vel for the first time, all you know, Coruscant dressed up. Like, I was like, "Who is that? Wait, that's <laughs> that's Vel!" Like, holy crap! I had no idea. Um, I was so surprised. And Clea's outfit looks so badass. I'm just like, I'm like, yeah, I would, I would love to live on Coruscant if those are the kind of digs that I get to rock, walking all <laughs> over the place there. As long as they don't have to wear like a silly looking hat. Or something like some of the party goers <laughs> do in one of these episodes, um, but then also Mon Mothma and how terrified she is to see the lengths that Luthen will go to just nudge the Empire's hand. Like, like he's he's legitimately trying to make things worse for so many people that they'll see how terrible things have gotten and rise up. Which, again, it gives me such conflicting feelings to watch his character do this because I'm like, that's gross, that's awful. And he's kind of right at the same mm-hmm. time. And that's the scariest part about this show is like, again, it, on both sides, not just for the Empire, not just for the evil characters, but for our supposed heroes as well. It it puts you in that spot where you're just like, I don't know if I fully agree with you, but also I kind of agree with you. And that's like the weirdest part about this show. I love it. It's it's that idea of the necessary evil, right? It's it's you have to do bad things in order to to create a change. Um, and so I totally understand what he's going for. And you do see as they start talking about canceling local ce- uh, celebrations and everything mm-hmm. so that they can't be used as a distraction again. That's exactly what he wants. He wants people to suffer. I don't think he wants to see anybody die, but he does sure. understand that the casualties of war will come in that form. But any way that the Empire can overreach more than they already are is just another spark to the fire. Um, but I think, yeah, all of this between the miscommunication between Luthen and Clea, uh, Mon Mothma here not being on the same page, it just goes to show that the 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 rebellion is just so 
new and fragile and all over the place. They don't have the same kind of driven team-oriented goals that we see later on during the the rebellion and the resistance. This is very much a group of like-minded people with very different ways to get to a similar goal. So that's really interesting as well. I love it. I love it. Um, Okay, now, Mon Mothma, uh, at a party, chats with an old friend, Tay Colma, or should I say, Bay Colma, Am I right? Like, gee, like those two, I think they, you know, mm, they got eyes. Uh, she says that she wants to tell him something that only three people in the galaxy know about because she needs his help. She takes Tay aside and reveals that Mon- the Mon Mothma people think they know is a lie. She explains to him that the Grand Vizier has infiltrated her separatist coalition meetings and her driver is an ISB plant who reports on her secret humanitarian programs. They're watching. Uh, she says they're watching her. She tells Tay that she's raising money for a Chandralin charitable outreach program uh, and she needs to access her family's accounts. Mon also warns him that Perrin knows nothing of what she does and he is not to be trusted. So now we know the answer to last week's question of who Mon Mothma wants to bring into the circle. And I'll admit, not as exciting as what Darcy, you and I were speculating <laughs> um, with Tay Colma here. But, you know, when Mon says there's only three people in the galaxy that know about her efforts against the Empire, uh, who do you think she's referring to exactly? I mean, I'm assuming that we probably know it's Bail Organa because she's yeah. been close with him since at least the Republic era. They were friends as senators there. And then obviously Luthen. I have no idea who the third could be. Like I was kind of scratching for the third one and I, I couldn't pick up anything. Unfortunately, I think as boring as it sounds, I think it's just Clea. I think Clea, obviously mm. Clea, you know, knows that Mon is in on it. I, I think that is probably who she's referring to. I mean, I would, again... I'd love for it to be whoever we were speculating last week with, like, who did you say that you wanted it to be? Or, or... I was saying maybe Ahsoka, but then Ahsoka, probably he, yeah. she's more related to Bale, so maybe not. <laughs> right, yeah, Bale would be the contact through Ahsoka, yeah. uh, as we got to see in um, in Tales of the Jedi recently as well. Um, but yeah, no, I think it, I think it might have just been Clea. Um, but also, like, I just, I love how much, again, Perrin just knows nothing. Like, I really do think he's the next Tim with two M's in this situation. <laughs> like, he's just going to he's gonna get super jealous of, of, of Bay Colma and, uh, and be like, what's, what's really going on or something? I don't know. Him and his man bun, as great as he looks, I don't know if he's going to be able to – I think he's going to be, be a problem. I think either him uh, or maybe his daughter – Mm-hmm. Uh, is going to be a problem. And I do say his daughter, as much as it, is, as it is their daughter, he's the one that's putting in the time with her. Like, Mon is so dedicated to this rebellion. She's so busy to as a quote-unquote separatist, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, she's not really spending as much time as she should with her daughter. Uh, and obviously, that creates a strained relationship as well. But let's, speaking of, of strained uh, parental relationships... Marva is surprised when Cassian comes home and she anxiously informs him that it's not safe for him there because Ferex is now under imperial authority. She also lets him know that Tim, with two M's, but it's not where you think, uh, is the one who turned him in. Cassian tells Marva that they're leaving. Uh, He has enough credits to get them anywhere. Um, I also want to shout out that B2 uh, emo 
is so like a little puppy dog in this scene and he like runs up he's like Cassian and then he's like and they're both like shut up and he's like I just want to <laughs> love you that was so um, sad so sad he just he wants to l- 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 love them uh okay Cassian <laughs> goes to find Bix uh and we learn that they used to be together uh, I mean obviously we knew that come on description uh hence Tim's jealousy uh she comes outside and warns him that he can't be there because anyone that sees him will turn him in and the people of Ferrex blame him for what happened Cassian gives Bix the credits he owes the people in town and then he leaves the Imperial presence on Ferrix brings up old memories for Cassian, back when he stood with his adoptive, adoptive father Clem while stormtroopers marched through the streets. He remembers when they hung him on the squ- in the square on Rick's Road. Uh, when he returns to Marva's, she announces that she's not going to leave him. She's staying for the... She, sorry, she's not going to leave with him. She's staying for the rebellion. Marva tells him she's never loved anything the way she loves him. But he can't stay. And she can't go. She also implores him to stop searching for his sister because there were no survivors on Canari. Okay, so uh, there's a few things I want to talk about here, but I want to start with that flashback sequence with his adoptive father, Clem. Um, <clears throat> these are the halfway mark uh, troopers, I believe, the the sort of halfway between clone mm-hmm. troopers and stormtroopers that we see. Um, and I love how, like, the way that they flipped between showing the younger Cassian and the older Cassian in these flashback sequences. What did you guys think? Yeah, that's that's been a brilliant element of the show this whole time is the way they're – it's not quite mirroring, but it it's the way – his current situation is bringing up these memories and and it's a great way to fill us in on the details without it feeling like exposition um it's just one of the many brilliant ways the show is written to make us care about all of these moments and to give them such significance to what's going on um really quickly though i mean why did he go back i understand why he went back but it was such a dumb idea and he's lucky that it didn't cost him oh my gosh yeah no 100 percent. i mean i think he cares so much about Marva and Bix and just wants to make sure they're okay. But yeah, I hear you. There, maybe there was a better way to go about that. Mm-hmm. I got to say, Marva's whole speech about oh, how she dude. was able to open her eyes and go to the plaza again is just, it was really powerful. And you can see how, how much that moment impacted both of their lives and kind of changed their path forever going forward. And again, it's really, I think this is going to be this seeing Marva's determination will be a huge factor in Cassian going forward and starting to, you know, again, fight for the rebellion. Like we say, this is this whole series is, is built leading to that point where he, he realizes why he needs to do what he's doing. And uh, I feel like Marva, again, will be a huge determination for that. Absolutely. Like I'm getting full body chills just thinking about Fiona Shaw's performance mm-hmm. in these sequences. Like, absolutely incredible had me tearing up uh which doesn't like for as much as i love star wars doesn't happen as often in star wars um as i as i personally would like because i love to i love a good cry but um (laughs) but i i love how much she loves him but she's also torn between her first love of the rebellion and her own son um and you know i i love that casting in this moment you you literally see diego luna portraying this character who's realizing that he's the reason that she both wants to leave and doesn't in, in that his actions on Aldani caused the spark in her that the rebellion is somehow alive. And he, he hates that he's the cause of these ideas in her head. And it sucks because this was the one mission he had to do to get her to freedom. 
And it's the one thing that he does that causes her to want to stay. And it's just one of those things that, again, normally Star Wars would celebrate these moments, the triumphant return of the elder rebel. But here it's it's so disheartening. And I love the way these writers are taking these traditional Star Wars ideas and flipping them on their head just to show how messy the wars of Star Wars is. And it's like, ah, oh, it's so good. It's so freaking good. And I think this sequence uh, with her character is probably one of my favorite moments of these three episodes by far. Um, but yeah, so good. So good. More Fiona Shaw. I hope we get a little bit more of her, though. It does seem like her character might be going towards a, a path <laughs> that, you know, we won't be able to follow, unfortunately. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I hope she goes out in, like, a blazing fire. Give her a shotgun. Like, what? remember when, when Aunt Beru in Obi-Wan was just like, get me my shotgun. Like, give me that for Marva. It'll feel a little more realistic, maybe. It would feel a lot more genuine than the Aunt yes. Beru moment. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, all right, Cassian has made his way to Niamo, Space Miami, uh, where he's apparently shacking up with a woman named Wendy, uh, and he's going by the name Keith Gergo. Uh, when she wakes up, she asks him what he's doing, and though he has the shower running, he's secretly rubbaging through a box in the bathroom. Uh, I mean, we can all relate to that, am I right, guys? Uh, as, he, as he makes his way... Th- as he makes his way through town, we see that it's now overrun with shore troopers. Oh, I didn't know what this, I thought I kept calling them sand troopers. Uh, one of them stops Cassian and accuses him of being, quote, a part of it, uh, the rebellion. Uh, a KX enforcer droid restrains him. And I, oh, dude, that was horrifying when he's like, mm-hmm. no, I, he just meant to watch me, not hang me. Um, absolutely crazy. Uh, Cassian is brought in for sentencing. And they charge him with a civil disruption, anti-imperial speech, fleeing the scene of anti-imperial activity, and attempted damage to imperial property. I don't know how they got all of that from whatever he did. Uh, He tries to assure the judge that he's just a tourist. But the judge tells him that he's he's got enough trouble without resisting a judgment charge. Uh, Tell it to the Empire. Tell it to the Empire. (laughs) Six years. He's sentenced to six years. So... I was uh, let's let's go back to Star Wars Miami. I uh, the palm trees. It was great to see the shore troopers again. What did you guys think of this very different looking planet uh, for Star Wars in Niamos? I mean, it's 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 kind of like a tropical location, like Scarif, right? Which which is right. kind of interesting that you know um, Cassian keeps getting into trouble in these places. He should stick to the yeah. the crappy climate places because he's always finding himself in trouble on the on the nicer planets. Um, but it was really it was very, it was very different to see this again. This vacation planet. Everything else is so industrialized. Everybody else, everybody's always working. They're always doing something. And here it was seeing people just have leisure time, which is very very different for the Star Wars uh, universe. Yeah, I mean, what was the place that um, Finn and Rose went to on their excursion that everyone hates? Canto Bite. (laughs) Canto Bite is where the Coruscant people go for their vacations, and then this is where everyone else goes, I think, for their vacations. This is the fun. This is the Ibiza of, you know, this is party time. (laughs) Yeah, people are drinking the greeny greens and eating their pizos uh, in this spot. Absolutely. I I mean, I think it's interesting that there's such an imperial presence on this vacation planet. I think it kind of goes to show how, you know, strapped for resources and, and labor they are, that they're deploying these people to just kind of grab anyone they can under any charge just so they can start 
fill in these, you know, labor lines that they need. And again, because they're, like you said, they're already overreached and they're starting to panic because they're trying to meet the needs for this like massive spanning empire. And it's, they don't have the infrastructure for that really. They're still trying to make, piece it together and, and like maintain their rule while causing so many people to start, you know, suffering and, and wanting to rise up against them. It's very, it's very interesting. Yeah. You have to imagine how far, you know, in such a short period of time, they go from where we see them in Andor to where we see them in a new hope. And yeah, dude, they, they, they got to catch up. They got to, they got to do a rush job on that. So I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of the people that run those facilities that we're going to be talking about in the next episode probably are pretty stoked that, uh, that they're like, Oh, we get to double everyone's sentence. Fantastic. Great. Uh, this will definitely help us out. Um, but like, I love Niamos, like, so different from what we're used to with Star Wars. Again, alongside Rogue One, but I think this show just keeps expanding on what we think Star Wars sort of has to be. Um, and shout out to the Shore Trooper uh, who questions Cassian, by the way, voiced by Sam Witwer, uh, who voices Darth Maul in the animated series. Um, so it was cool to hear his voice. And again, more more small details reminding us of classic Star Wars. Uh, there's a moment where some probe droids fly overhead, um, people playing handheld Dejaric in the background. There's like this alien with like a leg, like a robot leg that he's, or a droid leg that he's, he's playing Dejaric. And then of course the KX droid, so intimidating. It's nuts to think that that thing, like one of those things will be Cassian's friend one day. Like one of those will become K2SO. I'm like, how much work did they have to do on him? Well, and before we knew where this was going, um, which I'll talk about in a sec, perhaps, like, mm -hmm. did anybody else go, oh, my gosh, is this is this him? Is this where yeah. we're meeting him, you know, before Cassian bit. gets his hands on him? So I did get a little excited before the fear of, of just how powerful this droid is uh, sort of set in. Yeah, and what what really came comes to mind, too, is the fact that they said that they didn't erase any of those protocols. They just put up firewalls so that he can't fight the rebels. Oh, so like okay. all those instincts are still in K two. That's terrifying. And so that just, that makes this guy that we all fell in love with that much more terrifying. And you can see why the rebel the rebels were like, of course we're going to use this tool. He's so effective in what he what he does. Unreal, unreal. Um, I do want to just shout out. I do hope Disney, if you're listening, that you sell Pizos on Batu at Galaxy's Edge. I'd love to know what they are. I'm imagining <laughs> Star Wars spicy Cheetos. Is that what you guys kind of got from Pizzo, like you see a bag it says Pizzos on it, and in, in I don't know, I, I think that could work in a Star Wars <laughs> language. Just, the marketing just seems plum for the taking there. <laughs> um, but I will say at this point, honestly, I was not expecting uh, a six-year in prison story situation to to uh, start to unfold. What were you guys thinking at the end of this episode? Well, I mean, you know, as you get into episode two and three of the show and, and what you think is going to be the crux of the plot sort of reveals itself and you think, oh, this is going to be a really cool heist show. Wicked, yeah. you know what I mean? And that got me, that's when my excitement for the show really kicked into overdrive. But they, they went through that really, really nicely um, and it was a lot of fun. I did not see this aspect of the story coming, no. and it's amazing that they go, "Oh, you thought the heist was cool and engaging, and and you know, really absorb will absorb you. Wait till you find out the, the there's a prison element that he's going to have to escape from. I mean, I just can't believe that that's we're moving into this new phase that somehow tops the heist stage of this show, uh, and just adds to the layers of of what this show is sort of bringing in terms of the plot. It's just so cool." 
it fits so well with the with the the sort of the structure of these acts that we're sort of seeing. This is a four act structure of the show and I do hope they keep that going for season two I would love to sort of have like a a familiarity of like okay cool every three episodes every four episodes we're gonna get like a a big thing yeah especially for the next season it would make sense too if they're saying that they're condensing four years into one season whereas this first season is focusing on one year so the breaking into the acts will really work for that second season and again this we know he gets out so it's just this i was excited being like okay what's this prison he's going to and then how how is this crazy plan going to come together for him to get out of it because i mean that's what this show is all about is he's the main character he can't be stuck there for six years no i mean that would be a very (laughs) would be a very interesting choice (laughs) if they did do that um but let's get into it our eighth episode titled narkina five directed by toby haynes uh starts off with cassian uh, and several other newly sentenced prisoners finding themselves restrained on a transport headed for Narkina 5. Uh, as they exit the ship, uh, feet bare and hands behind their heads, they learn that they've been assigned to work at an Imperial f- uh, factory facility. After making a comment about how uh, they're able to stand in front of the prisoners without weapons, the Imperial, and they have these like big chunky boots on. I was like, look at their boots. I saw those boots. I was like, what are those? <laughs> those are so goofy. Fort- they're yeah. going skiing. The, the explanation instantly comes and they're actually dope. But I was like, yeah. man, that is a weird for a show that is so well done from a wardrobe perspective. I was like, man, that's a weird choice. choice. Yeah, yeah. One of them just like has a snowboard in his hand. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, the Imperial officer uh, then holds up a device and Cassian and the others collapse to the ground in pain. And the 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 contortion that uh, that Diego Luna does, I was like, "Holy crap, dude!" He he looks like he was suffering the most in that one instance. He got hit the hardest, I think. <laughs> horrible, horrible. The shock is delivered through the floors, uh, which is why none of the prisoners can wear shoes. As Cassian is taken to the work floor, the sterile facility and uh, the obedience is instilled within the prisoners, uh, creating a chilling scene. He's assigned to Unit Five Two D, where he meets Unit Manager Kino Loy. As he gives him a brief, no-nonsense introduction to the room, Kino explains how important productivity is. Cassian meets the table he's assigned to, but then an announcement comes over the loudspeaker claiming that their unit has unacceptable productivity levels. Following a sprint segment, the least productive table will be disciplined. So guys, this is the second role for Mr. Andy Serkis in Star Wars uh, with his first portrayal as Snoke. What did you guys think of Kino Loy here? And what do you think they're actually making in this prison facility? I loved Circus, seeing Circus again. I feel like he was a bit underutilized, and I'm sure a lot of people share that sentiment. Mm-hmm. But this character is everything you wanted and more from a Circus performance. And I, I can't wait like for his story to evolve and the way that we see it go over these next two episodes. I'm, I'm so excited for episode 10 to see what may unfold for him. Uh, and I got to say the soundtrack for these, the, this episode really oh, stood dude. out for me because of how, how dissonant it was. It really was hammering home how like hope is lost. Basically, as soon as you enter this prison, there's no hope of you getting out. And it's, it was just outstanding. I thought, and this introduction to this factory, the one thing I could think of, there are two projects that I, I know would be, ramping up at this point uh mm-hmm. one of them being the death star yeah he had been that had been a long time plan for him and he'd almost started 
since they took over the uh, the Republic. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is maybe it's parts for this massive space station. And the other thing I thought was a a Thrawn related topic uh, in the the Defender program. Uh, His answer to the, you know, shielded fighters of the rebellion was a shielded tie fighter and it was the tie defender oh. program so i what those are the two thoughts that were coming to mind where it's a a, a demand for it but not enough resources and that's why that we see these prisoners be abused so much yeah yeah i mean just going back to circus I, i'm sure we'll talk about him a lot over these the the next two episodes that we talk about but um yeah a yes dar snoke was was almost a waste of of andy circus though you know the the reason they chose him is because of his mocap mm-hmm. skills and and yeah. everything um but he's such an underrated i believe actor in terms of his you know live action performances uh and we haven't even begun to see the complexity of the character that he's going to play mm-hmm. in this show um, but yeah, he does a great job of filling in both Cassian and the audience about sort of what he's in store for, what's going on here. And you really get an idea of, of how everything works in a really quick and concise manner. And then it's, you know, right to work. So everything about everything that's happening here from the design of the prison, though, I will quickly say somebody pointed out that the prison has a very similar t- design to that of the, uh, Star Wars hotel, the, the, the Star Cruiser hotel. <laughs> Uh, no. And that the rooms and the prison cells <laughs> all look very similar, and I thought that was very funny. Um, oh no! But no Are there I food just, tubes? Do they have food yeah. tubes in that <laughs> You're hotel? Just out of tubes in your oh, bed. No. In the, in the, that's a lot of money for that kind of experience. No, but yeah. uh, no, I thought the set design here was awesome. Uh, so such good. a cool, unique sort of way to keep prisoners in line that I've never really seen the likes of. So everything here is just so well done, so clever. Yeah, like the self-governing prisoner system is so unique. You never really see it. And the way that they, again, Circus does a great job of setting up the hierarchy within this one wing and then how many wings there are to this whole factory. It was a wicked scene to just introduce us to how screwed Cassian is at this point. Yeah, I love, I love... I love how Andy Serkis can do so much with his face, whether there's dots on them or not. You know what I mean? Like he's just the way that he, especially his eyes. I think when you see him like sort of like his eyes darting back and forth and I was just, it brought me back to like his work on Gollum and just like how this character is like, he he's, he's starting to sort of hear what Cassian's saying, but not really. Um, And obviously we'll, we'll get there, but I just, I, I love that at the beginning of episode eight, like he's kind of just this guy that like, He's kind of broken by the Empire. He's broken in. He just he wants to hold on to every shred of faith that if he does his job right, he'll get out. And yeah, he has just... no reason to think otherwise. And he's no. close to the end of his sentence. He's obviously been here for years and worked his way up to a position that's a little bit more comfortable than than actually having to be a part of an assembly team. And yeah, he just wants to play by the rules, finish his sentence, and get the hell out of here. That's where he is at this point. And, you know, to see that character growth over this next little while is, is going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. And and the to your point with the design, the facility is so cold and white just like every Imperial facility. So I thought that fit really well. Um, I was talking to Justin offline who called out that he, he, he thought it looked a lot like George Lucas's first directorial debut, uh, which is THX 1138, uh, which if you don't know is a social science fiction film with a lot of the same visual imagery about kind of the the same sort of themes. Um, And I actually think that when you look at the facility from the outside, it does kind of look really similar to the construction sites we saw on Canari, um, just obviously not in water. And I wonder, 
I'm wondering if like maybe that's where those facilities were built. Uh, and maybe that's where their parents went, like their parents were arrested and forced to work on one of those facilities. And, you know, maybe the, the through a, a small rebellion situation, like they found a way to poison the Imperial forces working with them. But then like they also all died. Uh, that's my little theory as to why they those places look similar. But also want to shout out the show for for like giving me vibes of, you know, Squid Game. When the when the on program voice comes up, I was like, I kept hearing the modulated voice from Squid Game, uh, but obviously, well, and then all the marching Korean, of the but... prisoners and the <laughs> like, for sure on program, on program, like <laughs> so good. But I was I was getting huge um, raft vibes from this. When, oh yeah, you know when yeah, we yeah, yeah, when yeah, yeah. when Andor first arrived, that's that's the first thing I sort of thought of. That makes sense. That makes sense. Just put all your prisons in the middle of the ocean. I think that's. Listen, if if the government is listening to us right now, just put your prisons in the middle of ocean. I'm sure I'm sure that'll work out. <laughs> Listen to us. Uh, all right. Let's get to this next section here. Uh, Cassian gets his first look at the small pods uh, that now I just keep thinking about the the, the hotel, the Star Wars hotel. Um, <laughs> Cassian gets his look at these small pods at the uh, in the prisoners. Sorry, that the prisoners sleep in, which include toilets and tubes for food, and the shift winners get taste with their food. Yay! Uh, while they sleep, the floors are activated to ensure that the men don't stray from their pods. Uh, we then fast forward 30 shifts later and see that Cassian has now fallen into the grooves of his posting. However, one evening, a prisoner purposely steps out onto the hot floor, unable to handle his sentence any longer. Uh, quick note, one of the men on his team uh, is named Melshi, who you might remember as Rue Scott Melshi, who is a sergeant fighting alongside Andor in Rogue one played by Duncan Powell. Um, so that's pretty dope. Like, again, like it's, it's one of those things where I think this show is, is not, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, there's not enough like callbacks or, or like character reveals. And it's like, no, 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 there is, you just have to really look for them. Cause like he kept, they kept calling him Melshi. And I'm like, I know I heard Melshi before. So anyways, I just wanted to shout that out. Um, then, uh, as we continue here at work, Cyril Karn is nervous, uh, as he's called in for a meeting. Supervisor Miro walks in and tells him that she was planning on meeting with him at some point to fill some gaps on the Ferrix incident report. However, uh, that's been pushed up since he's been repeatedly submitting false inquiries to the Bureau of Standards Data Center to look for Cassian Andor. When she asks him what might be missing from Lieutenant Blevins' report, uh, that she should know about, he quietly tells her that he's never seen the report, uh, but he was forced to sign it. During an ISB meeting, Daedra, uh, off the, sorry, Daedra shows off the stolen Starpath unit that Cassian lost on Ferex. She explains that they don't know uh, when it was stolen from the Steergard naval, naval Yard because they were afraid to disclose its theft. This is something that's become a galaxy-wide problem for the Empire. They know that Cassian was in possession of it on Ferrix and in the process of transferring it to someone they're referring to as Axis, who we know is Luthen. Uh, now she wants to drill down and find him. Cyril, having finished reading through the Ferrix report while Daedra was in her meeting, exclaims how much the incident has not been accurately recorded. She tries to pry further more information about Axis, but Cyril can't remember much else outside of what the attacker was wearing. Though Daedra dismisses him, Cyril quickly stands and shouts that he was a good deputy inspector and proceeds to defend his actions. So clearly, uh, you know, 
interesting to see this meeting between Cyril and Daedra. They're very, they're much, uh, they're very much on similar trajectories. What did you guys think of this first meeting between Cyril and Daedra? I mean, these are my two least favorite characters oh, on the really? show, and <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just not as sold on this storyline as I am with what's going on with Cassian. Right. That said, the, the 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 acting here is really really great, and they they play, you know, this sort of evil and righteous to the point where you can almost understand their motives really really well. It's it's not some big force using powerful being like the emperor or something. It's it's right down to the human level where they have nothing but their wits and their their drive to sort of give them any kind of power. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's a really neat element to these characters, I, w- I would definitely say. And you can see how much, like, right away he admires her. Like, and I, I get the feeling that these two are going to be spending uh, more time together. Like, they both want to do the best job that they can. They really believe that what they're doing is, is right to keep peace and order through the galaxy. And I thought Denise Go in these, you know, next two episodes are is, again, really, really powerful, good performance. The way she sort of leans in and sharply delivers her lines like to their ears and stuff. I was just like, oh, she's nailing it. Um, and I also love that Cyril can only remember the color of the cloak and boots that Luthen was wearing. Like, that's what he was paying attention to. Like, <laughs> dude, Cyril is a little fashionista. Like, he's he's just love yeah. like his little tie that I know they all have to wear, but it's like threaded through the shirt. I'm like, how do I get one of those? That looks amazing. <laughs> I mean, I understand why these characters are getting together, but again, it's He's I, his character is getting creepier and creepier to me. I don't understand. He's so hyper fixated against Andor. I'm just wondering how that's going to play into the story down the line, and, and if it's going to affect uh, Dedra's performance in uh, you know trying to track down these rebels. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And I think there that again we'll see uh, yet another relationship where dedication is something that uh, in a different way uh, can really put a strain on on their achievements so really it's just it's so cool how like again even with the characters that you might care about some of them more than the others but they still find a way to make them all the same in a way in, in different ways it's just i don't know it's so cool uh, mon mothma and her husband host yet another party uh they keep partying it up uh and she tells him that her agenda for the evening is to attempt to garner votes to stall the empire's uh, the emperor's latest overreach however once Tay coma arrives the two get to business discussing more secretive matters Tay tells her that uh, the new banking regulations have made things difficult. As Mon mingles, the partygoers debate the merits of the Emperor's decisions. Meanwhile, back on Ferrix, Bix and Brasso are at Marva's place, and they're concerned about her. She fell recently because she was trying to pry open the old Rick's floodgate uh, in an attempt to create a path for the rebels. Later, Bix sneaks off to send a secret message. We also see that Vel and Cinta have arrived on the planet in search of Cassian, and Vel is upset that after all they've been through, there still isn't time for them to be together. The rebellion comes first. So yet again, <laughs> another relationship strained by the fight against the Empire. Um I, I will ask, what did you guys think of this sort of... I think we sort of uh, got hints of Vel and Cinta's relationship, but sort of this reveal that they are uh, they are together. Well, I just think it's interesting that the reveal comes after learning a bit more about uh, Sindrilin customs, about how 
Perrin and Ma, uh, Mon were married before they were 16, and it's yeah. all about tradition, finding a husband. And here you have Vel, who he later find out to be also Shandrillan and in a relationship that is probably against their customs. So mm-hmm. it's very... Very interesting way to introduce this, and under you, you understand why she's fighting even more is because she's already from a somewhat oppressive culture, and she can see the effect that has on someone's happiness. So I, I mean, again, really, I really feel for her once you learn more about her character and you understand why she wants more time for Cinta because that's what she's fighting for. That's what she believes in is happiness is time to spend with the person you love. So I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, and I think it it adds so much context to her hesitation in episode six. Like Mm -hmm. when she actually hesitates, when we're all like, wow, Vel is the strongest one. She's the leader. She's, you know, she's the most dedicated. And yet she hesitates. And now, you know, I think it's more because maybe she wasn't as worried about those other guys. She was worried about losing Cinta. Uh, Mm -hmm. And we see here that Cinta is more invested in the rebellion, um, much like how, you know, Clea, Clea seems to be more diehard than Luthen. Like, I feel like it's it's the show is kind of alluding to this idea that that for a lot of these characters, love is also a weakness, right? And, and it'll ultimately be their undoing. Absolutely. And even just looking at the dynamics of these two relationships between Mon Mothma and her husband and then mm-hmm. Valand and uh, Clea. Um, Sinta. Right? Sinta, sorry. Um, you know, when Darcy talked about uh, Mon Mothma being almost forced into this arranged marriage for political purposes where where uh, Vel um, and Cinta were brought together because of their similar passions. And so it's too... And, and you see how Mon and her husband, I don't know if it's strained after many, many years of being together or if because just the the arrangement didn't work and they 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 don't mesh to, together and so i i do find that interesting that you see these two different ways for these people to sort of find their partners um but yeah no i i really liked what you touched on there Nate in that the weakness of of investing too much emotions in this when you're when you're fighting something with stakes so much larger than just you and your partner and your own emotions, the, the emotions themselves are a weakness, and they can cloud judgment. They can uh, force you to make bad decisions. You and sound like a so Jedi right now, Kevin. You that, sound like a yeah. There's so many <laughs> yeah. tough decisions that need to be made. Yeah, it, you know, at this stage, that emotion can cloud the judgment. So oh, yeah, that. I'm all the the Jedi were right. No, no room for love. <laughs> no, the Jedi were wrong. Yoda <laughs> Nuke said that. That was we ended on. Yeah. Which I, again, I, I love how that, they, without having Jedi in the story at all, they're still managing to bring up these same topics that are mm-hmm. you know core to Star Wars stories. So I, I love the way that they're exploring this. And again, the family dynamic between Perrin and Mon and their daughter, I really feel like the daughter is the one to be concerned about. And Perrin really is just a clueless living his life up because he, where he is he's just a high profile thing. socialite yeah. who loves to party and mingle with you know <laughs> he likes to be rich and mingle with rich people he's a nothing mm-hmm. he's a he's a it's, fluff yeah it's the daughter that you got to worry about in yeah. my opinion and i can i only see bad things happening to that and that might be why mon makes the change to become the face of the rebellion yep i can totally see that and i i love that this show you know i think even when it comes to like the politics situation like i love that george lucas you know, had the foresight <laughs> to to want us to love politics in the Star he Wars. He must be universe. loving this show, eh? He loves oh yeah, it, dude, it's his favorite show in the whole world. Um, but like to see the partygoers talk about Palpatine, and you you overhear one of them saying in the background, "Well, he says what he means," and like in our real world politics, that's something that you'd hear about Trump. And I was just I was just taken aback with how much 
like Star Wars honestly to some level does talk about does, does have a social commentary on a lot of things in the different projects but this is the most I think that we've ever seen from a Star Wars story of of like a social commentary on on our real world um and yeah as soon as I heard he says what he means I was like oh damn like that's that's you know Palpatine might as well be rocking a blonde wig in the next time we see him just walking around. <laughs> the, the, the Death Star is going to be huge. Um, I don't know why I was doing. Wait, was that more of a Schwarzenegger? I don't know what happened. That was happened. all Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it wasn't more of one. It was, <laughs> yeah, but they need a bigly Death Star. They need a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I think of politics, I think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, he was a great governor. I, he was a great governor. That's true. Uh, all right. Well, at Luthen's shop, Clea receives the message, and she tells him that Bix is trying to find Cassian because his mother is ill Luthen and Clea argue about whether or not to answer because she doesn't think it's safe she wants to close their connections to Ferrix completely Luthen is concerned that Cassian is still at large and while he wants to take advantage of what Bix may or may not know he ultimately tells Clea to shut it down meanwhile Bix finds a crowd of people gathered and Brazo uh, tells her that the Empire detained Pak one of the officers sees Bix in the crowd and calls her out by name, uh, but she starts running. Once they catch her, she's brought for questioning with, uh, brought in for questioning with Deidre, and Bix is horrified to see what they've done to Pack. Really quickly, guys, do you think Pack is just seriously damaged here, or do you think, like, he's done? Like, do you think he's dead? Oh, I'm pretty sure he's done, especially with what they say later on in the episode. Yeah, we're not seeing him again. <laughs> no, I think he's gone. Um. Yeah, he, he was drenched in sweat. I think that's permanent damage. Um, now, Luthen heads to Segra Milo, where he meets with yet another fantastic uh, actor joining uh, this series. Uh, Saw Guerrera, uh, he keeps... Saw Guerrera's not the actor, but Forrest Whitaker. Anyway, <laughs> uh, he, <laughs> he keeps his cards close to his chest, and he asks Saw if he was responsible for the incident on Aldani. In exchange for an assortment of stolen Imperial items, Luthen asks Saw to meet with Anto Krieger. Uh, after probing the Imperial power station at Spellhouse, he found a weakness in the defenses. Saw is hesitant because he normally works alone. While anarchy is a seductive concept, Luthen tells Saw that it's a bit of a luxury for a man hiding in cold caves and begging for spare parts. So, let's get to it. What did we think of our first look at Saw Guerrera back in live action since Rogue One? Well, I, I will say it's great to see him. Um, I think if I could pick out an easy flaw of Rogue One is that it, we didn't get to see enough of him. Absolutely. Uh, and he's clearly in far worse shape after many tough battles than he is here. Uh, mm -hmm. So I am kind of hoping that we that you know we don't just get little flashes of him but as the show goes on especially into season two that we do get to see a bit more of this character that so far we've really only heard about more than than really got to to watch at his prime um but so just to get a, a little taste of that and to see you know how committed i mean he's just as committed as any of you know uh the people in luthan's uh uh, robbery scheme, right? Living in the caves, you know, just off of bare means, just doing anything, sacrificing any comfort and luxury for the greater good and for the cause. And so, uh, yeah, I hope this is just a, a really early um, a glimpse of, of much more to come. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, instantly you can see he's bringing the same amount of passion to the character that he has all these years. I mean, we've seen 
the gr- growth of the character from Clone Wars, where he learns to fight back from the sky, from Anakin and Ahsoka, and then the death of his sister as it drives him to these extreme means and anything to make sure that this doesn't happen to anyone else. So it was great seeing him again, and I, I do hope we get to see a bit more of this current Saw and his fight against the Empire and how that affects the rebellion as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah, really quickly, I should clarify that I'm coming as somebody who's not familiar with the animated parts of the universe. And mm-hmm. so for me, my my experience with Saw are, are very, very limited. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it, so that's where I was coming from there. Because, yeah, I understand you guys have seen just a bit more of him uh, doing a bit more than, than we got to see. I mean, he's even in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Like, Saw Gerrera has shown up. A ton of times, not as many as like C-3PO and R2-D2, but like a lot in the Star Wars universe. Um, And it's great to see he's got his scar here, um, which he has in Bad Batch. uh, And it's it's it it all fits within the existing timeline. Um, But I love their conversation, seeing them go back and forth, like trying to both not own up to the Aldani operation, but also be like, was it you that did it? No, was it you that did it? Like, I just, I love that they both really want to say that it was them, but at the same time, <laughs> they don't. Like, I just, it's so good. And dude, Forrest Whitaker, you're, you're absolutely right, Kevin. Like, let's get more Forrest Whitaker in Star Wars because he's, he is so, he's such a good actor and like, absolutely He's an phenomenal. Oscar winner for a reason. Absolutely. So good. So freaking good. But, uh, okay, well, listen, let's get right into episode nine, uh, titled, and I love this title, Nobody's Listening. Like, dude, like, so, ugh, they're just killing it with the writing. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. This is, again, directed by Toby Haynes, uh, and this rounds out the third act of this four-act structured season uh, and starts off with an interrogation. Dedra begins to interrogate Bix on Ferrix, and she threateningly tells her about what happened when they tried to get information out of Pak. We learn that Pak was originally recruited during a separatist meeting two years ago on Jondora, uh, at which point he became Ferrix's liaison. The Empire has discovered Pak's fractal radio unit used for communications, and they know that Bix used it. Daedra suggests that the Rebellion's interest in Ferrix wasn't meant to generate political activity, but rather to use the planet's unique commercial position to acquire stolen Imperial equipment. Though Bix tries to deny knowing the buyer, Daedra knows that she's met with him at least on six occasions. The mood in the room is tense, and Bix doesn't appear to be given in. So Daedra hands her over to Dr. Gorst. Before he begins their session, Dr. Gorst explains what exactly his method of torture is, as it's not exactly physical per se. The Empire was constructing a refueling center on an outer rim on an outer rim moon, Dizon Frey, when they encountered pushback from a hostile sentient species, Dizonites. They massacred them and discovered that the harsh effect that their coral agonized pleading, pleading sounds they make while dying have on people. To make matters worse, after modifying the layered and, and layering the recorded footage, they sectioned outcries from what they specifically believe are children. Shortly after they place the headset on Bix's head, she begins to scream in agony. So clearly, you know, this is not your your typical probe droid. What did you guys think of this incredibly dark method of interrogation? I was honestly horrified thinking about what we're imagining, trying to imagine what these sounds you could be hearing are. It's yeah, it, they 
the empire does not shy away from these like cruel and dark means to to get what they want and just again the story of how they got this stuff alone is is horrible and then the fact that they're using this to such an extent is even worse terrible it's so like unnerving the way that it just goes quiet and it just slowly zooms in on her face like talk about you know rogue one bringing in what i think a lot of people were talking about as like you know darth vader coming down the hallway is like star wars horror this felt like Star Wars horror. Just seeing her like shaking and shivering was awful. Yeah, even the visual that they paint in your mind of the crew being huddled together in the in the depths of the ship and and just oh, it just this is some deep level psychology here. Um, terrifying stuff. It's terrifying. And and you know, I was looking up, uh, researching a little bit of like <clears throat> sort of how they could have been using this audio and specifically the screams of children. Um, and, you know, people are inherently um, attuned to like the cry of a baby. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm sure Kevin, you know, with a, with a brand new newborn, you probably wake up from the deepest slumbers the moment she starts crying. Right. Like I honestly, it's almost like I wake up just before yeah, she dude. starts crying, That's but nice. it's, it's, it's more so that even just the gentlest stir that sh- that she'll do before, you know, really fully waking up and crying. Yeah. It's it, that's enough to trigger me out of a deep snoring slumber. So it's crazy. So yeah. it's like to 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 understand the idea that like all these children are being slaughtered, and that's the sound that they're pumping into Bix's ears. I the way they use audio. Shout out to like all the people designing the audio in this in this episode in particular is fantastic. Whether it's the lack. Of, of audio where we just hear Bix screaming or the way that like Nicholas Bertel uh, pumps up the hammer sounds in the intro to emphasize like the work that's being done at the prison facility. Like it's just so well done. And, and there's a few scenes where they cut back and forth between the interrogation scene and the prison facility. And it goes from Bix screaming to like a, a, like an industrial like drill noise. And it's just, it's so smart the way they sort of like flow from moment to moment. And the and not showing us, you know, yes. in an audio sense, what it sounds like is the only way that they could never create a sound this horrifying. I'm sure, and so mm-hmm. it's it's just leaving it to the viewer's imagination of what this could possibly sound like. That within two seconds, Bix is is you know done with it. She's she's in she's in agony. That's oh, that's so haunting. It's so so terrible, and it reminded me a lot of like how Kylo interrogates people like you know with him like sort of he forces them to see dark imagery and instead it's it's with sound here but it just kind of gave me very similar vibes of just seeing like when he uses the force to to interrogate people and i gotta say dr gorst super creepy dude like you're like why are you so calm about all this he's just like why is he smiling He was like bragging about this slaughter and massacre <laughs> oh of a species. Gosh. It's ridiculous. Absolutely terrible, dude. I'm like, Dr. Gorst, get out of here, dude. Um, Daedra leaves for the day, but instructs them to hold Bix as a prisoner because she's the only one that can identify Axis. Back at the ISB, Daedra reports back with uh, details on the interrogation, saying that she has no reason to believe that any information was withheld, although they still have no ID on Axis yet. However, based on the fact that Cassian recently returned uh, to Ferrix with a sum of money, she believes he's connected to Aldani. Daedra, believes, Daedra explains that she didn't question Marva because of how old and fragile she is, but they're keeping an eye on her so they can use her as bait. So 
really quickly, this is a moment again in the show where I'm so impressed with with the way they can make me feel and that like I'm questioning who's a better person in that yes, it's dark that Daedra wants to use Marva as bait, but then Clea like just cut off Ferrix completely when she heard about the sick woman, the sick old mother that's that's you know most likely dying and she was just so swift to like be like, yeah, cut them off, kill Cassian like and it's just crazy because again, we're talking about a character that's on the rebellion. And, and a character that's part of the ISB. And yet even even Daedra's like, she's too old and fragile. Like, like we don't need to kill her or, or anyone. I was just like, wow. Like, I don't know. It's crazy. Well, I mean, Marva is too old to do any real harm to the Empire. It makes sense that they would be like, I oh, don't really need to worry about her. Right. Uh, but I mean, completely understand where Clea's coming from. Like you said, like, she's part of the rebellion that's still very much fledgling. And she knows with things having already gone south on Ferrix, going anywhere near there is just mm-hmm. a recipe for disaster, yeah. especially because they've amplified Imperial presence. So, I mean, again, I feel like it's, she's the one who is keeping Luthen be like on that ruthless track being like, this is what we're here to do. It's not about the people we're involving. It's about the rebellion. We got to get this done type thing. So yeah. yeah, she's, she is in it for the the greater good for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, in in almost to uh, I think a fault honestly, but um, I I do want to shout out the dope visual Easter egg uh, through the cinematography here, which is so cool. There's a moment when the door closes on uh, Bix being interrogated, and it starts at the floor and then pans up to see a guard walking away from the door, and it's shot exactly like a moment in New Hope uh, when the door closes on Leia. Uh, about to be interrogated like it's literally the same timing if you put them side by side and it's so cool that like again I think for a lot of folks like you know there's a criticism sort of going around not from us maybe but let that this isn't Star Wars enough and there's some of the deepest cut easter eggs in this show like I think even in that scene there's also a camera array in the corner that's also seen in A New Hope with a very like sort of 70s you know, multi-cameras, like, in a little square, like, in the corner, and I'm just like, I'm like, dude, like, people, if, if you, if you don't think that this is Star Wars enough, you're wrong. This is almost more Star Wars than anything we've gotten. I honestly, I could go on a 25-minute diatribe here <laughs> complaining about people complaining in that <laughs> Obi-Wan, no, but Obi-Wan was the most Star Wars you could possibly be, yeah. almost, if not definitely to a fault. Whereas this is the complete opposite of anything that, say, um, Obi-Wan or the Mandalorian-focused episodes of uh, The Book of Boba Fett. And yet there's still reason to complain. I mean, what do you people want here? (laughs) What do they want? They'll never be able to recreate the original trilogy because it's done and it's happened. And it's everything else is new and different. (laughs) I just don't understand these people that can't be satisfied no matter what they do. Just stop watching. (laughs) <laughs> and let us enjoy stuff. Yeah, it's too Star Wars. It's not Star Wars enough. Yeah, I I completely hear you. I won't won't get you going any further, Kevin. Um, now during a meeting of the Galactic Senate, Mon Mothma speaks out against Im- the uh, Imperial overreach and the Public Order Re- Resentencing Directive, also called Pord, which is such a weird name for things. Um, <laughs> Pord Hub. Um, well, some people argue. <laughs> Uh, well, some sorry. Well, some people agree. Others begin to shout in dissent. Mon returns home to find Vel waiting for her, who we learn is apparently her cousin. Uh, while they're both aware of one another's part- 
participation in the rebellion, they don't openly talk about the finer details of it. Despite Vel's sometimes bristly attitude, uh, it's clear that they share a very close relationship. Later, Tay visits Mon again, and they discuss some new bumps in the road that he's encountered with their plans to move money around. Mon needs to obtain a loan from Davos Skulden, which she's not pleased about at all. So, uh, were you as surprised as I was to see Vel as Mon Mothma's cousin? Uh, and who do you imagine got involved in the rebellion first? I mean... The, seeing Vel as uh, Mon's cousin was definitely not what we were all thinking. I think the thought that she was Luthen's daughter That's was the thought, prevalent yeah. theory going out there. So it was definitely a surprise to see that connection. As to who he was first, it's I I don't know. I almost feel like they got involved separately, like and maybe don't know the like the full extent because. Like I said, Vel already felt oppressed by Shindrilin customs, mm-hmm. and that's maybe why she, she ran away. Like, she ran away and, and maybe joined the rebellion through that. Interesting. Whereas Mon Mothma has been fighting for this, you know, independence and protection of the people since the founding of the empire. She was already a center, senator beforehand, so her views really haven't changed much. And I think again, her reluctance to work with Davo, whatever his name is, Skulden. Skull, yeah. Skulden might again is kind of surprising to me because we see later on she has no problems making a uh, former smuggler a general of the rebellion mm. so like clearly at some point down the line her views on criminals or people who are thugs to her maybe are useful in fighting for, at fighting for the the greater good in the rebellion so interesting I mean, it's i thought it was an interesting little uh scene there <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it has to be Mon just because she's older and like you briefly touched on there, Dars, you know, being part of the Senate, watching Palpatine grow in power and and go to the lengths he has. I think she's been, you know, ready to fight this even at a very basic level in the beginning from the time that people started to recognize what was happening with, you know, the Empire taking over and everything. Uh, And so it makes sense that her younger... um, um, cousin, is it? Is it their mm-hmm. their cousins? Yeah, yeah. yeah. that her they, she would almost influence uh, her younger cousin uh, in in that regard. Uh, and in terms of their relation, I mean, the, the it just for an audience member, it kind of helps strengthen these bonds, um, so that it's not just a whole bunch of strangers connected through through a cause. It just helps the audience sort of connect these people. And I think if if anybody's going to go. We don't ever see um, Val in the future, uh, and so you know we we know Mon's going to survive the show. We know Cassian's going to survive the show. Some right. people will probably, you know, not make it past season two here, and so having that familial relation only strengthens the the drive of of the character that they're related to. So it it makes sense from a storytelling perspective. Absolutely, yeah. I I think you know. We we did want her to be Luthen's daughter, but I think it does work for her to be the cousin. Um, I I I think it would have been Mon first. I think you guys are right, but I think I think she might have gotten her cousin involved. I think I think it's very possible that like to your point, Vel was sort of really not feeling the whole uh, traditions on Chandrilla, and and this was an opportunity that Mon found for her. Uh, that didn't start off dangerous and got dangerous. And I feel like, you know, you could you could almost see Mon feeling incredibly guilty 
that she's gotten her cousin so involved that she's gone to this side of the rebellion and she's not sticking around. Um, I do really love their relationship, though. I love when when, you know, parents sitting at the table and Val is just completely like chopping them up and saying all these things. And then you just see the two of like Mon look at look at Val and Val look at Mon just like like little smirks here and there of just like, yeah, this guy's a freaking idiot. Like, I can't believe you have to put up with him. Um, so, so good. Um, yeah, very interesting. And again, something that normally would be celebrated in terms of like you're part of the rebellion is now being shown as a negative, um, even when it's for the greater good. So uh, back at home, Cyril Karn accuses his mother of searching his room. We've all been there. Am I right, guys? Uh, and uh, <laughs> and she begins to guilt trip him for being too busy to pay attention to her now that he's returned. Cyril tells her that he's being promoted at work. And then like immediately she's like her her attitude changes completely, even though it means that he would have even less time before we continue. Do you guys have any ideas on what Cyril might be keeping in his secret box uh, that his mom searched through? He's like, don't search for my secret box. Well, I mean, now that you've mentioned um, Pornhub, uh, <laughs> if they have that, then there's no need for, like, dirty magazines. Uh, so I'm really not sure what could be in the Jeez. box that he's so embarrassed about. I See, I thought it might have been um, more of those exclusive Hot Toys action figures. Like, I can just see his mom being like, all your dolls are, are in this box. And she's no, mom, they're collectible quit, action figures. Like, quit wasting <laughs> your money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I think that's maybe, I don't think he is as much of a minimal, minimalist as we thought he was. I think he's keeping his special action figures in that box. <laughs> I just like how whiny bratty was. He's like, I have ways of knowing. Just, like, <laughs> yeah. the, 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 his attitude there is just like, man, he's just. Everything about him is something I do not like, oh, basically. Man. <laughs> and the slurping of the cereal bowl, like with the, like, I was just like, oh man, like, I, trust me, I hear you, he's he's a big, he's a big nerd, but at the same time, I'm also like, I kind of feel for the guy too. Like, I get, I get that he wants to have that, that sort of, he had those, those boundaries that escape from his mom, uh, and now... He's right back there out of necessity, but um, happy that at least, you know, she got a, she got him a job. Now, this is where it starts to get really creepy and I start to not like him again. Cyril waits outside of the ISB building for Daedra, who is uh, who isn't exactly pleased to see him. He begins to thank her for the promotion, even though she claims she had nothing to do with it. Uh, and he infuriates her more as he essentially begins to grovel at her feet. When Daedra gets inside, she finds out that the ISB recently picked up a rebel pilot from Anto Krieger's group, uh, and he was using an Imperial masking unit. While interrogating him, they learned that there's a raid planned on the power station at Spellhouse. So I've been seeing some back and forth about this moment online with some people saying that uh, Cyril is, you know, acting uh, that way out of desperation to just get a better job. But I kind of just see it as he's fallen like head over heels for her. What do, what do you guys think? Oh yeah, definitely creepy stalker vibes. He just wants to be near her at all times. And he, he she even asks, "Are you stalking me?" He's like, "Well, I waited here every now and then to see if I could see you." So, yes, that's stalking. Yeah. What you just <laughs> you described is question. stalking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't he's got creepy fixation with her. I don't like it. Well, and he's got to read he's got to read the room. Like this little bootlicker, like <laughs> she was not having that at all and flat out said like, "Dude, unacceptable what yeah. is going on here so that that kind of backfired in a sense um yeah. but but maybe not i think she can i think she sees 
a usefulness in him, you know. And that's the and saddest that part. Obsession. Yeah, that's the saddest part. Is like, I think he sees her. I think she's physically attractive to him, but also, I feel like, um, like she's he's even more attracted to her dedication to the empire more than to like her her body or her face. Like she's everything that he wants to be in life, and he's so impressed by her. And and uh, you know, I think in a weird way, her pushing him away is even more attractive to him because he sees it as her doing her job even more like that, that dedication goes beyond like them being together, um, which is just so gross. And I, I, I think it's going to cut even harder for him when he realizes that she's not interested in him. And I, I, I say that because I think this show keeps sort of going against the, the sort of, traditional things that we'd get in star wars storytelling like normally we'd see these two characters and they'd be like cool we're gonna team up now we're gonna fall in love and and we're gonna fight the rebellion together and become these two big bad characters i just don't see that happening like i really 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 don't and i really do hope uh you know dedra just like we just get to see a moment where she just humiliates the crap out of him uh and just yeah just gives him a good slap in the face because he He's just being awful. He's just being awful. And again, the show just keeps putting me in places where I'm like, oh, poor Cyril. And then other moments where I'm like, oh, Cyril sucks. He's the worst. (laughs) Um, I just love it. I love it. I love these feelings. Uh, Okay. Now let's get back to Narkina 5. Cassian and his fellow inmates at the Imperial facility um, continue to work, and his unit wonders if they can win the shift. When Cassian excuses himself to use the refresher, he discreetly opens up a panel in the wall uh, and begins to file away at the pipe. Very Anthony Dufresne of him. Uh, He's interrupted by guards bringing in a new prisoner, and it appears Cassian and another man have been discussing ways to escape. They don't believe that the elevators are wired, so they might be able to take out the guards uh, when they're bringing someone in. When the floor crew is heading back to their cells for the day, one of the men sorry when the floor crew is heading back to their cells for the day one of the men uh, begins communicating with someone in another unit from across the facility uh, and they learn that something happened on level two suddenly the lights power down for a moment and an alarm goes off Cassian tries to ask Kino if he's ever thought about escaping and he denies it he tries to convince Kino to tell him what he knows because he he leaves before his term is up because the Empire doesn't care enough to listen to what they're saying in their pods, um, later, another unit tells Kino's crew that an entire unit was fried because they were making trouble. Uh, so it's crazy to see how indispensable they are to the Empire. What did you guys think of the news that an entire floor of men were fried? That's like a hundred guys. I just, I just love the way that they are have this communication system between different floors. It makes me think of another like, more recent sci-fi series, The Expanse, where mm. there's a whole generation of people who grew up in space and without the use of comms between suits when they're out doing maintenance on the satellites or whatever. So they came up with this very hand-based symbolism uh, way of speaking to each other. So it's very cool that... There's another form of that in this this Star Wars show that we we all know and love. Uh, the news that they got, in the way that it affected everybody, you could see that their hope. They're like, oh wait, why did that happen? We can't make mistakes. The the light at the end of the tunnel just gets further and further away for all these people in the prison, and it just again, you really feel how hopeless it is if you were trapped there. Absolutely. Well, and and you know, you mentioned the the you know the way the Empire can just 
callously and without uh, a, a, a second thought throw away an entire uh, unit, uh, you know, to keep the the project going. And again, it's just such clever writing in that I've been asking, why do they have humans doing the work of droids? And they, you know, it's mentioned really briefly and in passing that they're cheaper and easier to replace than droids. And it's like, boom, I've got my answer. It all Mm -hmm. makes sense. And we're moving on. Like, it's the the way they put information into natural dialogue in the moments is so well done. The, The exposition in this show is just handled with such finesse it's it's really really amazing and then obviously you know we we know why that floor was was terminated uh in the next big part of this episode um you know the turning point really so i'll I'll wait to say anything more uh for us to break that down a little bit yeah absolutely yeah i i think um especially on what after what happened at aldani there's no shortage of of new prisoners to bring in like you were saying and and you have to imagine with these people's sentences getting doubled, Cassian's got to feel some level of guilt, some level of guilt as to like feeling somewhat responsible for playing a part in why that happened. Like the Aldani attack is the reason that Pord exists uh, and, and caused, you know, some of these folks who were meant to get out at a certain point in time now have doubled uh, time on their sentence, uh, doubled shifts. It's just, it's it's unreal. And again, it's another aspect to building out his character where you're starting to feel him almost being forced because of his actions to shift from fighting for himself to fighting for the rebellion. And I think it's just such a, a phenomenal way that they're sort of building in these these big moments that are these big sort of turning points for his character before we get to see him in Rogue One. So good. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Now. Although Olaf has less than two minutes, or sorry, two minutes. Well, I mean, I guess, yeah. Uh, unless, uh, although Olaf has less than two months left in his sentence, he's too old and uh, too ill to carry out the work required of the men during their shifts. He collapses and head uh, as they're heading back to their cells, and they call for a med tech. When he arrives, he explains that there's nothing he can do for Olaf uh, because he had a massive stroke. So he injects him with something to end his life. And I hate how he just calls for a bag. Like before Olaf is even dead, he's like, get me a bag. And it's like just tossing out this man into the garbage chute. Like absolutely terrible. Um, the med tech alludes to the fact that there is a uh, that that this is a better way for him to go anyway. And this is when Cassian and Kino learn the true horrors of this facility. Nobody is getting out. The reason that the entire unit was fried the other day was because they discovered that a man who had been let out was actually just reassigned to another floor. As they head back to their cells, Kino finally relents and tells Cassian that there are never more than 12 guards on each level. So, before we get to our predictions and final thoughts, this show just keeps getting darker and darker and darker, and, it, and we just keep seeing how terrible the Empire is. It's so upsetting that Olaf probably would have been out by that point if it wasn't for the resentencing. What did you guys think of the loss of Olaf and this breaking moment for Kino Loy? My biggest uh, question was, why was Olaf deemed fit for labor? Uh, how long was he there? Because like, how long has this prison been active? Because it's very confusing as to why someone at such like nearing their end of their lifespan Mm -hmm. would be forced to hard labor because they want to be productive. So it was just very interesting that 
to me that like how long has he really been there and how long has this prison facility been in place felt horrible to see them go and again just the way that they're treating him as an object I mean, the med tech is also a prisoner, so he's just doing what he has to so he can stay alive. Which, but, by the way, that med man, tech the, um, is James Potter in Harry Potter. Uh, just a quick shout out. <laughs> he played James Potter, uh, Harry wow. Potter's dad. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Jarson. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just thinking about that now. Yeah. It's like, oh, I totally see yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> there it was. But, but yeah, clearly he's just trying to do what he needs to to stay alive himself. And again, he knows more than anyone else, so he probably has... Like no hope left at all. He's just yeah. going through the motions of living. So, it, yeah. It again, this brilliant performance from Circuits to see, like again, all the hope fades from his eyes, thinking that he could get out in the 180 days he has left or whatever. But now it's just like, well, no. The only way I can get out is if we fight to get out. So, so good. I, I, brilliant, brilliant scene. Oh, it's amazing. I could, I'll get it out of the way here because I could spend my entire final thoughts and score talking about Andy Serkis' performance in this episode alone. Mm-hmm. If the man doesn't get at least nominated for a Globe and an Emmy for this, mm-hmm. it's a travesty because, you know, from the nobody's listening um, uh, scene mm-hmm. where he's he's so conflicted but but still shuts Cassian out to his transformation here he's playing like 18 different emotions in his face without saying anything as he's sort of taking in this information processing what it truly means and realizing that he's only got one hope here and it is in Cassian and getting the hell out of here um and you know never more than 12 the delivery of that line so the the it's so haunting the just that coming off of the realization that he's had and it's also like a pump-up line now it's like yeah man like let's go he's in they're gonna try this thing um like it there's it's so much going on here in such a subtle way it's amazing uh never more than 12 is the new this is the way it's the the new (laughs) iconic star wars line it was this this was so so good unbelievable unbelievable unreal and like you have to imagine. So there's never more than 12 on each level. And there's what? Seven? Did they say there's seven levels? with Seven levels. Seven rooms. Seven levels, seven rooms, seven tables, seven per, uh, inmates per table. Right. And so that's like what? Like yeah. 100 per room? Is that what we're kind of going off so, of, I think? Yes, because there's there's two shifts of 49 plus the overseer for each shift. Crazy. So 50-50. Crazy. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, uh, Olaf being so old my only thought for that was maybe he d- d- maybe he never wanted to leave maybe he's been a prisoner uh of the empire for a long time and you know kind of like um i can't remember the character's name but that that old guy from um your Shawshank from again. Shawshank, you yeah, yeah, Shawshank yeah. again, yeah, the old <laughs> yeah. man who can never adjust to life outside of prison. Yeah. I'm wondering if he's oh, that, right? So and then, sad. and maybe like, how terrible would it be? But what if that's what gave the Empire the idea of just like we'll just recycle them? Oh man, Ugh, crazy. Uh, okay, that brings us to our prediction segment for what we think will be revealed in the future of this series and its characters going into the final fourth act of this season, guys. With just three episodes left. Uh, how do you think this series plays out? Um, and again, for this series, for our predictions, uh, we are calling it This Many Bothans Died to bring us this information. Uh, with how real this show is getting, I'm starting to like question my choice of like prediction of <laughs> Bothans dying. But you know what? It's still, they're still aliens, so we're okay. Um, so, uh, Kevin, why don't you kick us off? How many Bothans died to bring you this information? 
all of the Bothans died. Oh my um, god! <laughs> oh no! Um, um, no, you know what? I won't uh, because I'm I'm not the predictions guy. I won't allow any Bothans to Thank die goodness. for what I'm about to say. Um, I think the the amazing thing about this show is that. I don't have predictions. Yep. And it's a freaking prequel show. Yeah. The only thing I know <laughs> is that at the end of it, there's going to be Cassian Andor and Mon Mothma, and everything else is up for grabs. And that is one of the most amazing things about this show is that I'm so intrigued about what's going to happen in a show where technically I know the end result. But I'm so intrigued about what's actually happening right now that I don't even care about that like I normally would. So, yeah. again, yeah, I'm not going to waste... I'm not going to waste any Bothan lives for saying that but it's just amazing that I, I can't predict where things are going to go in this sort of setting it's amazing but I'm very excited to hear what you guys sort of piece together here this is this is why I jump on these things to hear your <laughs> predictions because they, they, they rarely come true but they're at least entertaining <laughs> yeah. in the in, the, in at the time well, uh, Kevin, I'm I'm gonna jump in I honestly I don't think a lot of Bothans died for me either this week because I mean like you're saying, we know that Cassian gets out. We know that, that Mon survives. We know that Melshi, uh, now, uh, who's in Rogue One, obviously survives this series. Um, but whether it's just them or all the other additional characters, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I do think that Mon Mothma will defect from the Senate. I don't think that's going to happen in this season. I think she's going to still be a part of it uh, in this season. I think something's going to happen with that whole ordeal with the with the smuggling of the money, um, with that gangster. Um, but, the, you know, it seems more like her defecting would be a beginning of season two thing for me, maybe episode two or three. Um, I was not expecting, as I said, to see a prison break storyline added in here, but I'm so glad that they did. And it, it leaves me, like you were saying, Kevin, in a place where I don't, I can't predict what's going to happen. I mean, I still think that Mon Mothma's husband or most likely daughter is going to betray her. I still think that Luthen is going to die, which is something that will push Cassian even further. Uh, I do think that Cyril still has a chance at flipping sides, um, which I think would be incredible to see for his character to go from being so dedicated to the Empire to being so sort of just everything he tries, he just keeps getting pushed further and further down. And he's just kind of like says, well, I give up then. I'm going to, I'm going to help the other side. I'm going to, I see, you know, the opportunity there to do actual good. Um, I hope so at least. Cause I, I think that would be really cool to see that with his character. I don't know if Deidre, I don't know. She's, she's too dedicated. I don't know if she'll, it, maybe she'll be the catalyst that helps push him uh, to the other side. And then with, with Wolf Yularen being brought in, I just, Come on, dude. Just give us Thrawn. Bring Thrawn into the show, maybe as a cliffhanger at the end of this season. Just give me the back of his neck is blue. That's all you have to do. Um, again, I keep going back and forth with like how much Star Wars fan speculation I want to come true with this series because like I do want them to keep surprising me, but then like my geeky like push my glasses up Star Wars geek is just like bring Thrawn into the show. Give me Ahsoka. Like, like you know, just do it all. Um, so yeah, the, the, I'm gonna say only one Bothan died to bring me that because that was not the best information <laughs> uh, well on the topic of Thrawn I, I mean I feel like it's got to happen sooner rather than later because if you look at the timeline for Rebels and when he disappears we really only have about three years uh, of Thrawn before he gets sent to oh, wow. hyperspace wherever with the whales yeah. so I mean not much time to explore there especially because during that period he seemed to be focusing on the you know ghost crew as his main focus of rebel hunting right uh, 
it's my as as far as predictions go, uh, I'm on the same page. Not many Bothans died because, uh, like you guys, I don't really know where it can go. Obviously, we're getting a prison break coming up, mm-hmm. and I, I do think that we again. Like Kevin mentioned earlier, Vel is probably going to die at some point. I feel like that'll be a catalyst for mm. Mon Mothma. So I wouldn't be surprised if if the death of Vel comes about by the end. Uh, and in terms of the prison break, I'm thinking maybe because there are a bunch of Imperial uh, fugitives now, the only people they could turn to are people like Saw's uh, like, um, separatist group of you know extremists and stuff like that. People who are already in hiding to maybe take the fight back against the Empire. And this might be like the final fuse on the powder cake that launches the whole galaxy into rebellion. Mm. So that, that kind of feels like where it's going right now, because I mean, what are you going to do with a, a full prison that gets out? Like you can't hush that up unless you kill them all. And if they spread to the far corners of the galaxy, everyone's going to find out. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to imagine that couldn't be, that's not the, the, you know, somebody's uh, husband, son, you know, grandfather, whatever returns home after being gone for so long and is like, hey, just so you know, that uh, that government that you think is doing some great things for our city, yeah, this is what they did to the person you love. And I could totally see that mm-hmm. really kicking off and, and being a, you know, a push of the hand as Luthen really, really wanted. Um, crazy. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm just stoked. I'm stoked to get to these final three episodes. <laughs> Let's get to our overall oh, yeah. thoughts and final score. Uh, for these all three episodes, um, we'll just do one score if you want, or if you have multiple scores, you do whatever you want. But we're gonna be rating it on a scale of one to five food tubes with flavor. And Kevin, I'm gonna get you to kick us off. Uh, yeah, I can. I can do this all in in sort of one lump score. Uh, because it's 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 an easy score for me. This is hands down the best Star Wars since Rogue One, probably. And I loved the sequel trilogy, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But mm-hmm. there's just something that hits different about this show. It's it's the best Star Wars show that's ever been made. Um, you know, while I might have a slight affinity, I hate to get off topic too much, I might have had a slight affinity uh, uh, for House of Dragon, uh, mm-hmm. House of the Dragon. That was only because I was so surprised at how good it was. I just didn't have as high expectations for that. Uh, so that really did captivate, captivate me. Um, but this show is is like destination viewing. It's like I cannot wait for Wednesdays to see the next episode, to yeah. see what happens next. The episodes leave you just wanting more uh, in such a in such a great way. And, and there's there isn't that it's not an, like a, an excitement for hope and fun and everything like that that really is devoid in this show and yet i'm still loving the experience and so that's just such a testament to the writers and the actors uh, mm-hmm. in this show that they're bringing this show it's so enjoyable even as dark and miserable and bleak as it often is. I really do think that's incredible. And the way they keep subverting expectations, going, oh, it's going to be a heist show. Oh, now it's a prison break show. Whoa, what's next for this show? I can't wait to see what they do with it. Uh, I mentioned uh, uh, before just not being able to predict what's next is such an amazing feat in a a prequel show. Um, I will say... You know where it doesn't feel like Star Wars for me, mm. uh, and, and this is a very slight nitpick, is that it's too human. There's no there aliens. Only human yeah. characters. There's no <laughs> aliens. So my my hope, my hope. I should have said this in the predictions. My mm. hope is that what, Davo Davo Skuldron, Davo Skuldron, yeah, yeah, Davo Skuldron, the the crime lord 
guy. Mm-hmm. I hope he's an alien character. That would be like it's one thing to have a couple in the background. Have a an actual main character be an alien. I think that would be cool. That's my only hope. But even if it's not, I won't give a shit. Uh, this show is <laughs> is fire. It is five out of five uh, food tubes with flavor. Uh, with easy, flavor. easy. This show is damn near perfect, if not perfect. What it's flavor is in the food tubes, Kevin? What flavor? You know what? Even if it was, even if it was, I would. It's ten out of five flavorless food tubes, <laughs> oh. and I'm still loving it. That's this show. That's how good wow. this show is. Wow. But, but, but give me like a nice. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't know what would taste good in a food tube, so I'm not even gonna <laughs> try to suggest something here. Sounds good, Darcy. How about yourself? I I imagine the flavoring for a food tube is like the banana medicine flavor. Oh, that sounds great. Get, make it more palatable to go down. Yeah. Sure. Or it's, if it's like an oatmeal, I've always liked like the cinnamon oatmeal. Cinnamon oatmeal. So if you're gonna mm, you nice. give me that Quaker Oats cinnamon oatmeal, instant oatmeal is delicious. Mm. So if that's my food tube flavor, sucking I'm sucking on that go with too. That one. That sounds great. Uh, I mean, so for my score, I mean, I'm right up there with Kevin. And I, I agree. This is the best star we've gotten in a while. The fact that it's so fresh, there's no way to predict what's going on. is it is a much needed uh, a much needed storytelling device in in Star Wars because so much of it was very like, oh, you can tell this is the bad guy or this is who we're fighting against. This showing us so many different sides with so many ongoing plots really leaves. A lot up in the air, and I love it. Again, Circus's performance across these last two episodes have been phenomenal. I cannot wait for more of him. I'd love to see him interact with the Luthan. Like, there are so many potential things that I'd love to see him do, and I'm so excited for. So, again, performances, music, soundtrack, like everything about these last three episodes have been incredible. So, right up there with Kev, five out of five uh, food tubes with flavor. But is that what it was? That's it. Delicious. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I am so impressed with this show. It's, it's so rewarding. It's so refreshing. And I think there's so many people, myself included, who said they wanted Game of Thrones level Star Wars storytelling. And that's what we're getting here. Mm-hmm. These characters are, are so mature. The way they handle these themes is so well done in the writing and I, I just, I love that I can start off hating some of these characters, but also see the, the, you know, the reasoning behind their motivations. And I love that when I'm, you know, when I say that, I'm not just talking about the ISB agents, but the rebellion as well. And I love that this show is taking things that I love about Star Wars and flipping it on its head, all while emphasizing aspects about the universe that have never been pushed as far as they are in this show. It's it's just the if you thought the Empire was dark before, it's darker in this show. And it and it's not you know, the show's not afraid to reference real life politics and draw similarities to some of the darkest and saddest events in real life history. And that's so impressive for a world that still technically has aliens and space wizards in it. Like that just blows <laughs> me away. And I, you're right, Kevin. I hope we get more aliens in it because I think for a show like this to pull off, you know, again, like talking about the the choral sounds of the children of this species that the Empire wiped out, and that's what they use to to interrogate and torture their enemies is like absolutely insane um but still involves aliens and i think it just kind of speaks to the idea that star wars can be both mature and you know aliens and wizards like it's it's crazy to think that we can have that um but just like how i think with game of thrones handling you know a world of dragons can still be so intriguing uh and so so adult um shout out to tim gettys from kind of funny who put it perfectly 
this show is using Star Wars as the setting more than as the plot. And he's exactly right. And that's mm-hmm. that's the I think that's part of this show's secret sauce in what what's really making it work the most for such a wide uh, range of audience. I've you know we talk about the people that complain; they'll always bubble up to the surface. But so many of at least the people on my Twitter love this show, like to a point where I'm like I'm you know I'm giving this five out of five food tubes with flavor. But they they are they're loving it even more than I am. It seems. Um, so yeah, I love the way the show is structured. I, I feel like even if these last three episodes don't fully land or even if the next season doesn't really work, I think we'll at least have had some of the best Star Wars we've ever gotten. Um, so, yeah, solid third act, five out of five food tubes with flavor. I like to think that they're they're Pizos flavor, uh, whatever that flavor is, <laughs> whatever that is. Also, yeah. that's good. because You leave you leave the mystery there, but yes. you also identify. That's good. That's clever. I like that. I love Pizos. Although I don't know if I'd want a tube of Cheetos because that's what you, you said you picked <laughs> yes. those as. So I don't yeah. know. It might be tough if they're the <laughs> spicy ones. Like you don't have any water to, you know, you have to figure that out. Um, all right. Well, that is it for this week's episode of Watch Club for Andor. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts if you haven't already. And if you want to write into the show with your thoughts or predictions on the shows we cover in Watch Club, well, let me just pour you a glass of squigs and gently guide you over to Darcy to let you know how you can reach us. Well, they can always reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or if that's too much like a food tube with no flavor. Oh, no. uh, Yeah! (laughs) You can always reach us uh, on Instagram at wearegeekcentric or on Twitter at geekcentricyt. Kevin's a huge fan of the no flavor food tubes, dude. He's he's loving every night. I just like that Darcy pulled a page out of my book. I love that. Respect. Uh, Every time he throws it to me, I try to pull pull a page of your book, and I feel like I'm hitting it, you know, half the time at least. There you go. There you go. (laughs) The book of Kev. Uh, Keep in mind, we have a ton of other episodes covering the latest and greatest movies and shows out now, like our recent spoiler-free reviews for Blockbuster, Tales of the Jedi, Clerks 3, Black Adam, and Wendell and Wilde. And we have a ton of interviews, like our interview of with some of the cast of this very show. We interviewed uh, Mon Mothma herself. Um, and we also have our upcoming interview with some of the cast from Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Also, our spoiler-free initial reactions for Black Panther Wakanda Forever are out right now on our socials, uh, but our full spoiler-free review will be out November 8th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, and we'll also have a spoiler-filled discussion shortly after the movie comes out on November 11th. So subscribe both on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekcentric to see our faces in those interviews as well as here on uh, you know pot, the podcast service of your choice. Uh, give those episodes a watch, a listen, a like, and leave a five-star review if you don't mind. Kevin, Darcy, thank you so much for joining me for this Watch Club. And as we say, rebellions, rebellions are built on hope. hope.